The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Wanted to say say something about about love, letting go and love. These days, my uh, post-election Dharma talks are either about grief or love or both. Uh, and so today we. Uh, no, I, I feel like I um, s- tried to speak a little bit to um, the the breadth, you know, of practice, the depth of practice, and then for me, the the kind of fruition of practice is is something like like love, something like non harming. And the truth is that I've I've um, become more and more skeptical of the wisdom that doesn't lead to love. I think Rilke said something like, uh, "The spiritual awakening that does not awaken the sleeper to love has roused them in vain." And it's this moment, it's like spiritual practice that doesn't actually catalyze some uh, deep commitment to non-harming. It just, it just doesn't feel uh, so urgent, so... Um, I wanted to say something about love, but, uh, but to, to really begin with the way in which uh, wisdom and letting go and love converge. So there's the famous line from uh, Nisargadatta, uh, love tells me I'm everything, wisdom tells me I'm nothing. Between these two, my life flows. And naturally, we often come to, there are definitely wisdom types and greet and, and uh, like love types, you know. And the wisdom, the wisdom types, like there's actually a lot of value in doubling back to the love side. And the love types, there's a lot of value in doubling back to the wisdom side. But ultimately, uh, they support each other. And so I want to suggest that, um, you know, I don't, I don't know about Buddha nature or like that, that the truest part of us is goodness. I don't know. The Buddha was very cautious about ascribing essences to anything. But it is worth looking at what is left when we stop clinging. You know, like what's left when we stop clinging? And so the Buddha highlighted 
clinging to views and conventions, to sense pleasure, to self-view. And I think we can see how in, in all of that clinging, like clinging to our pleasure, right? Or clinging to views, not merely using views, having, having a view and employing it as a way of negotiating the world, but clinging to a view. That's different than the heart being committed to something like nonviolence. To cling to a view injects a whole layer of anxiety and becomes very fertile ground for hatred to arise. And the attachment to conventions, we're asked to let go of the attachment to conventions. And so everything we do that seems natural and seems like the way things should be done, almost all of that is just convention. So much is just convention. And it doesn't mean to let go that we should cease doing those things. It's just that we should realize that how idiosyncratic and strange our conventions are, how bottomless they ultimately are. But we cling to how we think things should be done because this is how they were done. And this too is ground for a lot of defensiveness. We cling to views of self. And when we do this, it means that anyone can potentially become our enemy. Because our priority is in curating the sense of self. And that means there are welcome visitors and there are intruders, right? And so uh, to, to let go, to begin to let go of, of clinging uh, makes hatred so much less possible, right? In the practice that we did of, of uh, you know, of seeing, hearing, feeling, where, where all we're doing is, is letting experience go, letting it be as it is, not like standing on any of it as the ground, not taking it to be the vantage point. We just keep folding it into awareness and letting it go. In that practice, like the seeds for hatred and division and separation, they are undercut by that path of letting go. We are, uh, uh, yeah. We're, we're really uh, undercutting the seeds through which division and hatred arise. 
So, um, th- in a sense, we're, we're asked, as the Buddha asked, like, to let go. Let, he said, let go of everything that's not yours. Your letting go will be for your benefit and long-term welfare. And then the question is, like, what's, what's not yours? And the answer is everything. And we actually start to get a sense of like not owning anything in in the flow of that change when it's just thoughts and feelings and sensations and sounds and and even intentions when it's all just like tumbling through these empty phenomena uh, just just like unfolding. Yeah, that sen- it actually like really undercuts the sense of ownership. This is the, the Buddhist scholar Andy Olinsky. Why is it that humans tend to feel possessive and acquisitive about all aspects of their experience? the ownership of property is embedded in most legal systems. But in drawing out the implications of the Buddhist insight, one sees that this is an extension of a much more profound habit of the mind. It is this very sense of ownership that is directly responsible for both individual and collective suffering. Ownership is a node around which greed and hatred coagulate and is itself the expression of a profound delusion which gives rise to all sorts of strife. Ownership is a node around which greed and hatred coagulate. Can you feel that? Like the the sense of ownership, like of owning our bodies, of owning our feelings, of owning our country. Part of what happened for me in this this cycle with the election is that uh, that what was punctured is a sense of like, that sense of ownership of my country. And in feeling so heartbroken, uh, not out of partisan difference, but just by how far we diverged from the spirit of non-harming, and in feeling heartbroken, part of what was heartbreaking in that is I was letting go of the notion that this was my country. That there was some sense of a certain kind of ownership even, of like, this is what the country is, we. These are its values. Ownership is a node around which greed and hatred coagulate. Our reputation, 
our the sense of a certain kind of like possessiveness that infects our deepest attachment relationships of partners and uh, one's parents, one's children. Without knowing it, it's like this sense of ownership, like and a certain kind of possessiveness just in uh, colonizes the, the mind. So th- there was a line in, uh, from a, like I think a 70s R&B song, like a thin line between love and hate, right? And, uh, but that's not true. It's, it's a, it's a thin line between clinging and hate. And the clinging gets entangled in the love. Yeah, but there's this, that sense of, um, of ownership, of ownership. So what would it feel like to, to own nothing Maybe you can even get a, a kind of intuitive hit. Like, what would it feel like to own nothing? The first thing that comes to me is that everything that is here, everything I do have, is a gift. not a possession. So some of what we're doing in in the training of meditation is like, we're, uh, we're opening to our, uh, the state of like ownerlessness And that can engender a very, very open sense of what it means to be human, to have this day, to be alive. Maybe we have more time to be alive. And Thich Nhat Hanh says, uh, true love never makes you suffer. My own experience is that uh, just over the years of practice, in this path of like, of letting go, of letting go, of thinking that, oh, this is unbearable. I can't bear it. And then letting go and letting go. 
that uh, uh, life does feel more like a, a gift and um, something something is in the heart is just softened by that process and path of opening the clenched fist. It definitely hurts, you know, but uh, it, it, it's the kind of pain that actually softens rather than hardens the heart. And so we, we see like with deep clarity, maybe even we say certainty, that, uh, that deep happiness and open-heartedness are not separable. That the kind of closed-hearted happiness, the deep kind, is not possible. We see that. We see that. Martin Luther King, uh, and I say to you, I've decided to stick with love, for I know that love is ultimately the answer to humankind's problems, and I'm going to talk about it everywhere I go. It isn't popular to talk about it in some circles today. I'm not talking about some about emotional bosh when I talk about love. I'm talking about a strong, demanding love. For I've seen too much hate. And I say to myself that hate is too great a burden to bear. I've decided to love. If you're seeking the highest good, I think you can find it through love. for a moment together.